Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCready, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Chapter 10, The Mountain of Me. Is the Father enough? Many gasp in alarm when they see me, but you take me in stride. Psalm 71.7, The Message Bible. As I grip the armrest with both hands, knuckles white, teeth clenched, and body rigid, I contemplated whether this would be the last day of my salvation, or maybe I would just invent another version of it to calm my conscience. I had flatlined in my soul and hovered on the brink of divorce, destruction, and depravity. I was fully cognizant that there were plenty of people to reassure me I had finally seen the light if I chose to walk away. With tears streaming down my face, I saw the choice before me, the oldest choice in the world, me or God. With tears and snot flinging off my lips as I spoke out loud to him, I confessed, I know you are supposed to be enough, but in this moment, you are not. I feel nothing, nothing, nothing. I am painfully and agonizingly aware that there is nothing. I have nothing for you, for when, for anyone. There aren't enough candles to light or soft music to play. It is all dead. Nothing can be resurrected. There was nothing fresh about it. It was stale and hard to the touch. God wasn't cutting me any slack. Again, he whispered to me, You can leave me, but you won't leave me deceived. And he turned the lights on really bright. I saw a hand waving a large bell. The bell was stuffed full of tissues. The longer I watched, the more forcefully the hand swung the bell from side to side. The more violent the swing became, the more the tissues dislodged and flew out from inside the bell. It looked like miniature parachutes falling from the sky. And God said to me, Nancy, that bell is you, and I am shaking you violently. Everything you ever used to stuff your life with is flying out of you. All your attempts at pain management, be it sin or ministry, are all failing you. The crushing reality that you are not in control, have never been in control, and will never be in control is terrorizing you right now. And what are you hearing, Nancy? Somewhat mesmerized by what I was witnessing, I said, The clapper inside the bell is ringing louder and louder, more and more. It's almost deafening. He said, Nancy, you have stuffed yourself over the years with things, people, accomplishments, victory, service, Ministry, image, status, marriage, and none of that was ever meant to fill you. Your needs are so unmet, and you are growing more aware of them by the day. You see the links you're willing to go to, and you are ashamed at one moment, but in full bore lust the next. You are seriously contemplating walking calmly away from me and your life in me, and you can do that. I will not stop you. I will not convince you to stay. But if you stay or leave, you have this reality to contend with forever. While you feel excruciatingly dry, dead, 
empty and restless, so deep in your soul, look again at what is true of you in your spirit. And as I did, the hand plunged the clanging bell powerfully into the most beautiful, radiant, pure water I had ever seen. The bell was still going from side to side. I intuitively knew this was because the need had not left, but now the bell was filled and flooded with pure water. He said to me, That is my love for you, in you. You are saturated in my love, yet you have been drinking from the filthiest of fountains, self-indulgent love. Your ravaging bitterness has made you open prey to the enemy of your soul. He causes you much torment. I love you, Nancy. Now you decide. The freedom God gives me frightens me. The light faded from the room as day gave way to night. My fingers relaxed, my jaw unclenched, and my body began to melt in the presence of the Lord. I had no inclination what the next days held for me, and for what seemed like hours I wandered in my empty house. People wanted to stop by, the phone kept ringing, yet I could not speak or reason because I was in the battle for my life. Would I acknowledge his right to rule over me? Would I freely yield my freedom into his hands? Could he do with me as he pleased? And what pleased him at that moment? It pleased him to show me the love he desired between the two of us, deep, abiding love. I didn't need the love of my husband or another human. I needed love himself. I was about to say goodbye to self in a way I did not anticipate. I finally fell upon the couch and sank into its overstuffed pillows. With the indirect light from one lamp beaming across the room, I whispered, I choose you. You are my life and love. As these words went into the melancholy atmosphere that still hung thick in the house, I became increasingly aware of another presence. Its whispers were vile, familiar, and foul. In a flash, I saw into the spirit realm and knew the childhood demon of my life was present. This demon upon my uncrucified flesh had me so disoriented I had lost my direction. Confusion about my core identity had overtaken me. The holy anger that rose in me was startling but sure-footed. I was being shown a truth, a reality that would forever transform me, curing me of confusion of identity source, purpose, and love. In great fervor, I took off my shoe and flung it across the room. And upon that shoe rode the words, It's you. You have ridden me all my life. You came to me as a child and rode my back into desperation and as a teenager to rebellion. And tonight you want to drive me to complete and total craziness. At this moment, it was forever made clear to me that the demon that tortured me in the night as a child was the same one I had almost embraced and kissed on the lips as a lifestyle as an adult. Not another demon from among the pack, but the exact same one that rode my dad was now trying to remain embedded in me. It wanted to cause me to fall away permanently into deception and the delusive glamour of sin. This demon had morphed over the years from a torturous foe to a rebellious teenager seeking out promiscuous sex 
to a fully whoring life as a college co-ed, and on to a young schoolteacher and open drunk. Once I was saved, it hunkered down, avoiding the cross as it cloaked itself in the zeal of conversion and the selfish ambition of ministry. When those around me, husband, boss, pastor, did not appreciate my efforts, when the pain that was being freshly inflicted roared within me with searing intensity, it triggered what had been stored away years ago, rotting pain that every fresh injury stirred up like rancid oil. It was so foul, but my thoughts focused on others on the habitual trail of bitter victimhood I had walked many times. But this night, the blazing mercy of God speaking bold truth to me was saving my life in real time. His piercing, unflinching truth was like runway lights bringing exposure to the landing strip that old and current bitterness was giving to this familiar demonic spirit. I screamed with all my might, You will not have me. You've tried to drive me crazy all my life. Leave me and never come back. I freely choose God, and whether I live or die, if he uses me or he doesn't use me, I am his. Flood me, Jesus, Father and Holy Spirit, and possess all my days for yourself. It was a gripping realization that God was not enough for my flesh and soul. As my man-whisperer brought me closer and closer to the truth, it was not excitement that grew, but the imminent feelings of death to self. Here I was surrounded by an elite class of failures, Peter and Paul, who knew what it was to come to the end of their view of who God was and what he was all about. It was here that I realized every true saint and son was brought this way, the way of the cross. In very experiential terms, I was watching God show me again at fresh levels what had been working in me, self. I thought it was me and fought it the best I knew how. With the self-amnesia once again exposed, it was dawning on me that something was working in me that was not of me. Its power to overtake the sincere, confident disciple and the religious fool was staggering. Like Peter, I could swear my allegiance in one breath and deny him in the next. Peter was my encouragement because he is proof you can have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, but not have a revelation of self in its full capacity to deny him. The man whisperer spoke words from Jeremiah to me, For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. Jeremiah 31.11 He continued showing me what was necessary for my personal place of quiet and safety and for the future of my destiny in him and for him. If you return and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, you shall be my mouthpiece. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen. There was much sifting, shaking, and violent tearing that was necessary to separate the precious spirit from the vile flesh and self. I was learning again as Holy Spirit led me through my deep, personal, experiential way that there was something in me that was not of me. As sure as a splinter in my finger doesn't make me a tree, this presence of sin and self was in me but not of me. 
The innate fury of self toward the Father is staggering once brought to the surface. Here I found my anger was not just emotional but generational, passed from the loins of Adam in the garden to me. This is not personal but inherited. Its nature and violent hostility toward the Father was in full bloom. When Paul said there was no good thing in his flesh in Romans 7.18, he meant it. I don't know if I was ever as furious with the Father in my evil as I was in my good. Thank God he is confident and unshakable during my fits of self-love, self-glory, self. Though the mingling of perverse reasonings and others' decisions block out his goodness for periods of time, and I am convinced he is against me and not for me, that he is distant, not close, he is cruel, not kind, he is indifferent, not engaged, I am always brought back to the truth. The sequestered truth is that he is working on my behalf. There is no greater servant than God himself. He serves his, not my, desires and plan for me. The dream he is bringing to pass is his, not the one I dreamed on my bed of abuse. When I was not seeking him, he sent his son. When I resisted him, he remained steadfast and loyal. His loyalty is unexplainable. When the scales finally fell from my eyes, I cried along with all my brothers in ages past. My God, what have I done? How could I have been so blind? As I faltered about to weep bitterly beyond my own courtyard, when I heard the cock crow and realized my absolute denial of Jesus and my self-determined distance from him, I cried with a guttural awareness that this defection was not fueled by pity, but by pride. In all things he was bringing me back to himself, for he was the mark I had missed in my sin. It wasn't just that I had failed to behave. I had failed to depend. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. Now I am trusting all the way.